Every year, taxpayers spend $14 billion on the American bail system, but with an increase of 126% of unconvicted people crowding jails since 1990, it's clear that the bail system is broken. With sorely overcrowded jails and rising detention costs, a pretrial system based on money bonds is not only unfair and unsafe, it's wasteful, and there's a better way. Risky folks who have the money can get out of jail by posting bail. What good does that do us? It doesn't help get them back to court, and it doesn't keep them out of trouble. People with money that post bail and get out and are willing to cooperate with supervision, the money that they spent is wasted. Folks that are not of high risk in terms of their propensity to commit other crimes while out on bail or come to court, the low risk folks, why would we want to keep them in jail for 60, 90, and 120 days and then if they're found guilty, put them on probation. So we spend all this time and effort keeping them in custody, and then they don't get jailed. Now, it's so hard to predict who's going to get jailed and how much jail they're going to get. But the numbers are telling us that a lot of people stay in custody and never get a jail sentence. The amount of criminals who are convicted of crimes and go to the Department of Corrections is very low. And yet, 60% of our jail population is awaiting trial. So think about that. Uh, I don't think keeping everyone locked up is uh, number one, the way that anyone anticipates we should be handling these things. And number two uh, is certainly never going to occur because of limited space. And uh, again, more importantly is, is it, should it occur? Um, these are people who have been uh, accused of a crime and have not yet uh, been in front uh, and, and been found guilty or not guilty. So uh, we do need to look at something different. I think the American, um, you know, our society values uh, freedom, obviously. Pretrial refers to basically uh, the uh, someone who is alleged to have uh, been involved in some sort of criminal activity uh, is subject to arrest either at the scene or after the incident uh, as a result of an arrest warrant. So pretrial is what are we going to do with these folks now, now that we have them? And uh, the old way of doing business uh, meant that a lot of people could bond out uh, before they saw a judge, and that would be before we determined you know, the risk of releasing them, either the risk to return to court or not return, and or the risk of possibly committing a new offense while out on release. So one of the main parts of this initiative was to make sure that all people arrested, certainly on felonies and misdemeanors, uh, of domestic violence, and then some municipal offenses, primarily domestic violence, uh, were detained and held to be assessed. And we had never done that before. Only a very few uh, were assessed prior to being eligible even to make bond. Uh, so that's, that's what pretrial is. What are we going to do with the folks that get arrested? How are we going to get them back to court 
and hopefully keep them out of trouble in the meantime. That's what it's all about. I mean, I don't know what the numbers are, but I'm sure that a very big percentage of the people that are locked up don't have money to get out. So yes, you know, you know, you're not locking up rich people. You're locking up, you know, people that are, you know, not, you know, financially able. So yes, of course it, it makes sense. Well, I think the, the jail population, I think the recognition that bond is not a sentence, uh, that people are presumed innocent, and that they do have a right to bail pending their case. And I think the idea that uh, just because you don't have as, as much money as another person, uh, that shouldn't be the deciding factor as to whether or not you remain in jail pending your case uh, or you're out on, on, on bond or out in the community pending your case. I think it's allowed people to maintain their employment. It's allowed families to stay together and um, it's allowed moms or dads to continue to contribute financially to their family. And I think it's allowed for a lot of rehabilitation in the process of supervision um, uh, and specifically really with drugs and drug treatment. So being out of jail gives them those opportunities and they couldn't do that otherwise. So the jobs of pretrial has changed significantly. So rewinding 10 years ago, um, what pretrial did, we still access criminal history records. And what would occur is if you were arrested and had virtually no criminal history, we would recommend um, a release on your promise to appear, or what we call a PR bond. Um, you didn't have to put up any money up front in order to be released from custody. That was happening very rarely. It was happening less than 10% of the time. On cases that we were interviewing folks, they were receiving a PR bond. For everybody else, we had what was referred to as a bail schedule. It was an index of offenses and a corresponding amount of money that that person would either have to put up cash, property, or work with a surety bond in order to get out of jail. In 2013, the bail statute was rewritten, creating a framework in Colorado to implement individualized, risk-based assessment for pretrial release. The following year, Denver was selected as one of three sites to improve pretrial system processes, funded by the U.S. Department of Justice. Now, the Pretrial Services Program makes recommendations for a risk-informed release system, helping Denver move towards a system based on evidence and risk. The focus of Smart Pretrial was really to reduce reliance on money bail as much as possible. Because if you committed an assault with a deadly weapon, you could get out of jail before midnight. If you were arrested at 8 o'clock in the evening, you could get out by midnight if you had $50,000, uh, or your family did. So that happened all the time. Now everybody is detained to see the judge in the morning to be assessed. So that little delay you know, it creates a lot more benefit for the public. So they'll get to the jail and it all depends on what time they get there. It can be in the middle of the night, um, early hours of the morning. Uh, probably the first people they're going to meet are uh, the people from pretrial services who will do a pretrial um, bond report. 
you know, pretrial staff obviously are very committed and very diligent to, to the importance of their work. Um, what we do in pretrial as far as risk assessment um, is the process involves an interview with the defendant. So again, shortly um, after they've been arrested, usually within 24 hours, if not sooner, um, staff will sit down with them and go through a series of questions that will not only provide responses to the assessment, but also provide additional background that the judge can use in making their decision. Um, after they um, obtain those, those questions and they go back and they score the tool, they will also pull criminal history records, again, provides additional information for the court to consider, and then they'll package all that into what we refer to as a bond report. That information is shared not only with the bail setting judge, but the defense counsel if they're present, as well as the prosecutor if they're present. And so before uh, they go to their first court appearance, they will uh, meet with somebody from my office, from the public defender's office. Uh, we'll review the bond report, we'll review the probable cause statement, which is the statement that uh, obviously explains why they've been arrested. Uh, we'll review both of those with the defendant. Uh, and then after we met with every one of the defendants, and it can be anywhere from 15 to 30, 35 uh, people uh, before court, we will then uh, meet with the district attorney's office and talk about uh, bond and see if we can reach some agreement on bond. The importance of having a prosecutor at that first um, hearing is that a seasoned prosecutor can look at the facts and understand whether or not this is something that really is going to go forward or not. That's probably the first dividing line. And then if it is going to go forward, how important is this case? And then with the risk assessment tool, what we're allowed to do and capable of doing, which we weren't in the past, is having a separate um, set of information come to us that says, hey, this person is okay to go back out in the community and it should be all right, or no, this person is probably too risky to go back out in the community. And if you don't have that at the first stage, then just sort of get that information later on. It's almost a little too too little too late, if you know what I mean by that. You know, so to have that immediately and be able to go forward with that is exceptionally important. So after we've met with the prosecution, after we've met with um, every one of our clients that are in jail, uh, eventually that case is called uh, up in court for what's called a first advisement. And at the first advisement. The court will call each individual case. We will have our attorney approach the podium with uh, the person that's in custody. And if a PR bond's already been agreed to, the judge will just give a PR bond and the case is finished. Uh, and that's a very uh, quick process. If a PR bond has not been agreed to, then the attorney from my office will make a full bond argument and likely will ask the judge for a PR bond or a very low cash surety bond. Um, Sometimes the prosecution weighs in on that, sometimes not. It just depends on the nature of the case. Um, and then once uh, we've made our arguments, then the judge will set the bond uh, and, that, and any supervision conditions. And I think that's the important part. The supervision conditions can be very vast in whether they're just reporting in, calling in, and or being monitored. So um, there's a lot of uh, just discretion there as well as you know, drug testing and those kind of things. And then if you're granted a PR bond or a low cash surety bond and you're able to post that, then you'll, you should be released that day. As risk assessment evolved and we're able to better identify, I think, who's likely to succeed on pretrial, 
lower risk folks, moderate risk folks with supervision, um, we're, we've seen a substantial increase in that PR rate. Um, in last year, 2016, that rate was in the 40 percentile range. So I think that's a success because what occurs absent that is um, a wider net of people that have to put money up front in order to be released from jail with no consideration of risk. And as importantly, they end, some people who are low risk end up staying in jail when they could easily be in the community um, working, contributing to the stability of their families, and safely be there without committing any new crimes and showing up for court. So risk assessment has advanced our ability to identify who can be successful pretrial. In Denver, a broad group of stakeholders from all sides of law enforcement and safety came together to develop better pretrial system processes. And safety means a lot of things. Uh, often we think of safety of, you know, law enforcement and our detention facilities and our judicial system, but safety also means an enhancement of the quality of life inside of our communities in assuring that the right people, you know, that should be held are in secured environments. And those that can come out and continue to contribute to the health and welfare of our community, whether it be their families, whether it be their jobs, whether it be their engagement in the community, we want to be able to support that and uh, Smart Pretrial helps us to do that. It is more defense oriented and it's, and it's look-see. But it, when you get behind it, it's not defense-oriented at all, it's humanity-oriented. So that's how I would look at it. And, and I re agree with Adrian. This wouldn't have happened without the prosecutor being at the table and willing to do this, because the defense is making the arguments we've always made, that these individuals should be released. Being able to be part of um, the solution. So that's something for me that is very, I'm passionate about victims' rights and making sure that at least they understand the process instead of getting dropped in the middle of it. And I think sometimes we forget that there's always a person on both sides of that. And that, that for me, has been my passion at the pretrial. There, there is no doubt that this nationwide is something that we're building as it flies. Um, but it certainly is better than what we had. And certainly um, a little bit I guess sad is the word that comes to mind that it took us this long to get to this point, um, that people didn't think about this a long time ago. And I say that having been completely opposed to it when it first showed up. So um, I don't want to say I'm a true believer, but I am a believer. So what made me a believer in moving towards a risk-based system is I'm a strong supporter of using data and science and research to make better decisions. Um, I'm not a proponent of letting an instrument such as a risk assessment tool make the decision or replace the decision that a judge makes, but I do believe it's providing better information. Most of it, honestly for us and the benefit to our clients, is driven by having a judge that believes in the process, because I do think you can have a tool and you can have DAs that are acting in good faith and want to apply the tool. Uh, but if you don't have a judge that's willing to apply it, then it kind of goes nowhere. And what has been particularly, I think, great in Denver is we have a judge that believes in it. 
and is consistent. Um, you're going to ask for a PR bond. I'm going to go ahead and authorize that. I mean, I think our pretrial office is doing a lot more work. I mean, they're at the jail before I'm even awake in the morning, hours before I'm awake in the morning. So if anybody's taken on a burden, I think our pretrial office has. And this was a, a new program. There was really nothing to compare it to. There was no data, no previous mistakes to learn from. So we're kind of learning on the job. I think the workload itself kind of surprised me. I wasn't quite expecting it. Uh, it's a lot of preparation, checking court notes, preparing uh, paperwork for the for the defendants to sign. The idea is to get these individuals out, especially the lowest individuals, because the more time they spend in custody, the more detriment we are to their success, uh, to get them out in a more efficient manner. Right, we have seen and some of the recent data has exposed the fact that people held longer than three to five days uh, suffer severe interruptions in their daily lives. Uh, they certainly can lose jobs. Uh, they can uh, lose their apartments. They can lose their property if, for instance, they're homeless and their property is just left to be confiscated by others. Uh, certainly, if you're in jail for longer than 30 days, and this was something that I was, certainly wasn't aware of in 2000 when I first went into the jail, that people lose their government benefits. So if you're on Social Security, SSDI, uh, Medicaid, uh, once you're in custody for more than 30 days, then generally those uh, benefits lapse. So then once you get out, you have to start all over again or restart that process. So uh, there's a severe interruption to the normal uh, living habits and quality of life for anybody who's in custody. Not only the pain and suffering of the particular detention, but the uh, cascading effects on their family and their extended family. So yes, it's one of the benefits of smart pretrial is getting people out of custody sooner before their lives are ruined. So the previous money-driven um, system compared to a risk-informed decision um, raises lots of questions about equity and, and, and challenges. Again, a money-based system strictly looks at one factor, your financial or economic ability to get out of jail. It unfairly, uh, I think, incarcerates individuals from underserved, underprivileged communities. I think people of color are impacted at higher rates um, by a money-based system. A risk-based system takes that out of the equation. You know, I think that there's a lot of kind of just deep assumptions being made by system players that think if somebody is financially able to get out of jail that somehow they are more law-abiding, more willing to come back to court, what, you know, whatever those assumptions are. And the fact that if you have no money and you're not able to do that, what does that say about you as a person uh, and your success if you get out? I think that if you really think about that, there's a lot of deep assumptions being made that I think are untrue. Money bail does not give us the safety net that we thought it did, and it's highly discriminating against those that don't have money. And that's just not fair. Um, it helps 
a lot, but I don't, I mean, everybody's different, so it helped me out a lot. So uh, let's first start with the not guilty because that's the case I'm in. So the not guilty plea is going to enter and distribute the peace charge. Uh, go ahead with your water. Denver's pretrial services program has helped thousands of people already and has shown a $2 million system cost savings in the last two years. Oh, it was definitely worth it. Um, when personal recognizance bonds are up really 500%, from 8% to 40%, that's a five-fold increase. Uh, so that's a 500% increase in PR bonds. When the folks being supervised by pretrial justice goes from 900 uh, to 2,700, that's a 300% increase in supervision. We have a lot more people out of jail, staying out of trouble, waiting for their cases to be adjudicated. So yes, it was worth it. Certainly if you ask the people that are out that would have never gotten out, it's worth it to them. Prosecutors by nature are not going to think it's a problem for somebody to be in custody. And I don't mean that like any prosecutor doesn't want the wrong person in custody. But obviously, um, we're, that person's natural inclination is to lean that way. I, I think what's been the curiosity to me is you have to teach in a language that people can understand. And when you teach in the language of justice, every prosecutor can understand justice. That's why almost every prosecutor got into the job is they wanted to do something for the community. And this, what, what I think is the broader part, part of this is the community includes the victims, but it also includes the defendants and their families and the impact that all has. And from a community involvement, if we, if we fail to see that, then we fail to see really the larger impact of what we do on, in our day-to-day -day existence. So I think the process becomes more about understanding that from the very beginning, every person's arrested, their lives are, are changed. And, and generally, um, not in a good way, maybe in an impactful way, and maybe ultimately in a way that changes them for the good, but in the short run, not for the good. And so I think that's a really powerful thing to have to understand and hold in your heart as a prosecutor, because um, justice has um, many mistresses, so to speak, you know, so the saying goes, and, and fairness at the front is one of those um, categories we should be focused on. Pre-trial supervision contributes to public safety in a great way because before all we had to do is look at a schedule, assault with a deadly weapon, $50,000 bail, uh, you got any money? Yes, you're out. I don't have any money? You stay in. That's pretty easy. Uh, this system has created a lot more work for the courts, uh, the public defenders, uh, the defense bar, uh, the prosecutors, Certainly the police department and for instance, uh, they, they are the parties asking the questions in the ODARA. Uh, the victims, uh, coordinators for the police department are ratcheting up what they're doing and communicating better with uh, the district attorney's office. Uh, the monitoring of our success is a lot of work. So uh, the results are hopefully more just and I guess it's like everything in life. If you want a good result, you gotta put in the effort. Even though the easiest thing for me to say is, well, let's leave everybody in custody because then the community's safe. That was easy, but that wasn't right. And Chris eventually was able to come around in the same way and say, yeah, and we'd like everybody out, but th that can't be right either. At least, I think he would say that. Right. So my hope is we have preventive detention because then really you get rid of, you get rid of cash bonds.
that's what I would like to see. I would like to see us work on the legislation and the constitutional amendment here in Colorado. And so really what we're trying to move to is, is that person or should that person be releasable at all? We have a responsibility to make sure that there are no further victims. So it's balancing the two of those things. Why does it matter to do this work? I think it matters because we're talking about people and people's lives. We're talking about individuals, you know, albeit they've been arrested, they're still people. And we owe it to that person just as much as we owe it to the rest of the community, you know, to provide safe criminal justice services. Um, and how we're doing that is we're embracing um, the best available research and science to inform decisions around pretrial services or pretrial release. So it matters because we're dealing with people.